Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Communication Solution Podcast, and we are here to help you improve the outcomes for the individuals, organizations, and communities that you serve. And to do that, we have uh, a group here that we call the MI Guys. Uh, we have our director and leader here, Casey Jackson. Hello. And uh, Tammy Calais, who is our lead innovations marketer genius person to get this all going and my name is john gilbert another one of the trainers here and so we'll be talking today about a particular topic as we usually do with a motivational interviewing lens and so to get us started tammy would you mind kind of keying us up with what uh to we have been you know considering talking about today <laughs> yeah so someone asked the question they've um, you know, heard about us working with law enforcement, and they're curious how it came about that we started working with law enforcement and motivational interviewing. That's a great question. Um, it, well, it started in Spokane, Washington, where um, Jan Takamoto from, she's the COO from uh, Frontier Behavioral Health, they were doing what's called CIT or crisis intervention team training, which is very common. It's a, it's a national best practice. It's trained to uh, law enforcement, very common training, um, variance in amount of time, but a very common training that gets trained to officers around the country. And it, really what it was based on was when the majority, of, not the majority, a lot of calls that officers go on, there can be mental health, there can be addiction issues going on, but no crime's been committed. Um, and so they have to deal with this and they're not, this is the big thing nationally that we're hearing about, you know, they're not social workers, they're not paid to be social workers, they're, deal, you know, they're there to protect community and, and deal with crime. And so CIT came along to train officers on how do you recognize mental health? You know, what are some of the resources in your community? What does mental illness look like? How does it impact the family? What are the kind of drugs that they would be on or medications they'll be on? Um, and, and just to give, be able to know what's going on, have a better assessment. What, what Jan Takamoto had heard multiple times was that, yeah, we can show up and understand the situation, but it doesn't tell us how to deal with them. We need still need training on how to deal with them. And that's when she connected the dots and said, you know, let's do a pilot project. We're going to call it ECIT, Enhanced CIT Training, and we're going to add an additional 40 hours of motivational training. And, you know, I've done quite a bit of work with Frontier Behavioral Health. She called and asked if I'd participate in the project, and I did. And the outcomes were just really impressive. The um, Captain Cummings at the time um, had told us that after the officers that I trained received the ECIT, uh, that extra 40 hours of MI, they had zero incidences of use of force for the following six months. And that, that was huge. That, that just got a lot of attention. Um, and obviously the, the chief, um, Chief Mido, just an incredibly um, impressive leader um, made a decision that that you know we're going to put more officers through this and see if we continue to get positive outcomes. Um, there was definitely very very distinct challenges uh, in training law enforcement on a communication technique um, that felt more social worky, and that is not necessarily uh, a primary part of, of law enforcement culture. Um, but the officers that locked into it 
Um, some were willing to send the body cam footage of their interactions as they were attempting to use motivational interviewing. We had used MI in mock scenarios, like with people that were suicidal, people with weapons. Um, so officers got trained pretty thoroughly on that side of it. And some officers really gravitated towards it and, uh, and voluntarily recorded or, or submitted their body cam footage to me to code it to see if it was fidelity-based MI. And the officers that continue to do that just showed really, really impressive interactions. I mean, beyond my comprehension of how effective motivation could be in those situations where you know a crime hasn't been committed, but they do need to have an intervention. And their outcome is to move on to a next call. So it was very efficient and very effective. So that that's from there, it, it's garnered more attention. And I've, I've done some presentations um, to some conferences on hostage negotiations and and uh, some presentations at some other law enforcement um, conferences, so. Now, have you guys heard that, I think it's Oregon, um, they have made some use of illegal drugs now legal in the hopes that, I think the officers could interact with the person to say, would you like to go get treatment versus let me, you know, arrest you or put you in jail or, you know, get in trouble, I think. Have you guys heard of that? There, I know that the, that's a lot of that is part of the CIT. It could be an evolution of the CIT is just how do, how do communities bridge more effectively? I know in Washington state, there was a lawsuit that they talked about the true blood dollars, it's a true blood lawsuit that there's just individuals that continue to fall through the cracks. And this, just the fallout from that has been significant enough that they're forcing systems to work more closely together, or you're gonna get fined by the state. So you either learn to work better together as systems and start to have better handoffs between the systems, or you're gonna pay for it. We're not gonna make communities pay for it anymore. We're gonna make professionals pay for it if you can't pull it together, so. Cause I thought it was really interesting. Um, I, I think it is Oregon. Um, I read it recently, but yeah, it was something to where they were trying to encourage people to go get more support rather than immediately just going, you're going to jail. Um, but I makes me also curious what kind of uh, support they're also giving to the police officers for that too. Exactly. Well, and this is what you're seeing with, you know, I've just been lucky enough to have this inside track. Yeah. Uh, we're hearing more and more about co-deploy teams. So a co-deploy team means there's an officer and a mental health worker in the car together, working a shift together. Um, and so then you've got, somebody from mental health right there who can, you know, evaluate and assess, do this person need to be detained? You know, do they need to be connected to resources? And so it's starting to bridge that gap. So, you know, we continue to hear law enforcement are not intended to be social workers. That's not their job. That's not what they're paid to do. But there is this, you know, these promising practices or this evolutionary thinking about how do we start to become more efficient and more effective and keep our communities and, and all of our citizens in every community safe. And that the more there's a focus on that, the more innovation is starting to come through from the little window that I get to see uh, into law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I, I'd be curious for you to talk about as well, Casey, is uh, this kind of uh, balance here of the challenges of the culture you talked about of we're not um, social workers. Um, we, we come from our own kind of culture that's different than that, but we can see aspects of this working 
Um, you talked about being efficient and effective. So just talking to that, particularly from a lens of how then are officers using this in ways that aren't, you know, manipulative to people to try to just get them to just follow the law and do what they think is best. And I know we have our other podcasts on AI manipulation. We have our other podcasts on ethical influence. So we don't need to go super deep into that. You can reference that um, possibly in our show notes here or in other podcasts. But I just was wondering if you kind of talked to that. Well, are you training officers now to just get them to stop, you know, taking drugs or just get them to do this thing um, that ultimately they don't want to do, but now they're being Jedi mind tricked into, you know, something they don't want to do? Uh, or is it really this effort like uh, Tammy's getting at where they're trying to destigmatize and give people choice, um, but still use compliance? And how do you mix that compliance with MI? All that good stuff. John, this is a big question. <laughs> we'll unpack pieces of it. Uh, <laughs> the part of it, you know, I think the easiest thing for me, because my brain is fairly simple, is I just take it down to it is a method of communication and when I train law enforcement it's just understanding that culture there's a reason there's a culture there um, it's not an easy job there are incredibly dangerous situations for the officers and for the community and for you know people within that community so there's an understanding that when you're talking about that level of risk and safety there's a there's a certain way that you operate and there's ways to be trained on how to operate that way and what I tell when I'm training people in law enforcement the reality is, is they probably maybe 20 or 25% of the calls you go on, MI would be appropriate. 75% of the time, it's not MI. It's not the tool you're taking out of your, probably 80% of the time, it's not the tool you're taking out of your tool belt. Um, you know, they're trained in very specific ways for very specific reasons. And there's evidence around those reasons why they're trained those certain ways. Mm -hmm. What the, the, those that are open to listening and, and kind of just setting things to the side and, and learning a new skill set, it is understanding why am I opening my mouth and what is that creating? One of the, because this is innovation. I mean, the, I think where I get excited about being able to work with law enforcement is this is innovation. This has this is not what MI was designed for. It was not designed for law enforcement. And so one of the things that's been interesting for those officers that are open to it to entertain the idea, they are trained to secure a scene, secure the scene, with force, you know, to go in and secure a scene. And what I've been trying to get them to open their minds up to, if a crime hasn't been committed, if there's not health and safety, eminent health and safety or health, eminent risk, can you secure the scene verbally? And that's just, those are just fundamentally different constructs. So you can see how there'd be a pushback because what I tend to hear, like we hear, in the medical field and healthcare and behavioral health, well, I can use MI after this happens. And it's like, oh my gosh, if you use MI, you could get that to happen significantly quicker. Mm -hmm. And But they just don't want to let go to what they're most comfortable with and what they tend to be most comfortable with tends to be what generates the most resistance. So what officers say is, well, once I have them cuffed and on the ground, then I can use MI. Once they're in the back of my car, that's when they start to talk to me. And, and to just try to kind of unwind that, rewind that a little bit and think, what if we reduce the resistance so the physical part didn't have to happen? So the use of force didn't have to happen. So the hands-on doesn't need to happen. I am not showing you the research around that because there's no data around that. 
But if we look at it through the physics lens, the way we teach and think about motivational interviewing, if we can eliminate the resistance, because what you're talking about is incredibly high levels of resistance, if those can be mitigated, if we can reduce that level of resistance and get better engagement, then maybe we don't need to use force or go hands-on. Let's just scratch our heads and see or create space to see if that's a, a possibility, because physics dictates that is true, um, which doesn't negate your experience. And isn't that exactly what happened in one of the videos that you show in the training? You know, someone's clearly expecting to get physical with the police and it doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> it's just, and that's, we know, you know, that's why we continue to talk about resistance when we train it at IFIOC because resistance is the energy or the physics between two things. Yeah. So if you're reducing that tension between two things, you get access to the what do we know? Every podcast, every time we talk MI, the reason this stuff comes up, because people want to be heard and understood. Mm-hmm. They just want someone to listen to them. And when people feel heard and understood, they start to de-escalate and they start to explain their dilemma. I mean, it's just MI 101. So, but you take MI 101 and you put in these incredibly complex situations where there's mental health involved, um, there could be addiction, there's weapons involved. That's just, that's a lot of things to assess for any human being to assess at one time. And then to be mindful about the words coming out of your mouth and staying in equipoise and all these other things, that's just incredibly complex to manage. So. Yeah, I also think it speaks to, I know we're coming to the end of our time for this um, shorter podcast we have, but I think it also speaks to, I'll just chime in there, how soft skills can affect hard outcomes as best we're seeing anecdotally. And that uh, usually those soft skills are, considered weaker or softer and less important and have all these connotations and that those soft skills aren't as hard or as important as you know other skills and we're not here to debate that there are certain things that are important for other types of training like you were talking about Casey to not negate other kinds it's just to recognize that there's a place for managing emotional your own emotional state and having a separate skill set in a separate kind of a situation to decrease resistance um, and possibly access some internal stuff that they got going on and help guide them um, with that in a way that tries to check your own power um, and really put you in that equal treatment place. And we can dive deeper into that and how to do that if (laughs) those that would like listening want to do that. That's where uh, Tammy can be contacted at Tammy Palais um, and that is T-A-M-I dot C-A-L-I-A-S. There we go. And so you can reach, oh, go ahead. Oh, you can reach out to Tammy with any questions or comments or anything you would like there. But just thought I would bring this kind of shaping to a close given we're past our 10 or so minute mark. Is there any remaining remarks that you guys have that you'd like to bring it home with? Well, I think that's right. great. Yeah. We're thankful for the questions. Keep keep sending in questions and we'll keep answering them if we can. Excellent. Well, hopefully it's been helpful for you. We look forward to hearing from you more about either MI and law enforcement or any other nuances that we're just kicking around for you. We'll see you later. And again, we are the MI guys with your communication solution. We call it the communication solution uh, that will changing your world so we'll catch you next time see you then thanks take care